right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Property Players Podcast. I got a good guest here with me. Me and her go way back, like four flats on a Cadillac, right? We go way back. <laughs> way, uh, way back. Way, way back. So, Miss Toya Fowler, she's here with me. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. We definitely have a long history. We grew up together. So it's just exciting to see her in her professional career now in the real estate world, like actively working in it as an agent, but also as an investor, just been kind of following and and we've had some time to go back and forth a little bit and looking for houses and talking about investments and things like that. And I just know that she could bring so much value, super proud of her. So I wanted to have her on the show. So let's just jump straight into it because this is what the people want to know. They want to know about you, right? They want to know about you. So give me the origin story. Take me back like who is Toya? Like, why? How did you get to oh, this place? God. Yes. Let's start from the beginning because people need Ooh. to know who you are. Okay. I am, well, my name's Latoya. I am from Philadelphia, West Philadelphia. Grew up there. Pretty much had a parent where purchased a sheriff's home. Sheriff's home. Mm. Um, decided that we were going to live in it while she decided to renovate it at the same time. <laughs> and you're talking about somebody who was frustrated, meaning myself coming home from school, friends can't come over because everything's always under construction. I had to sit with contractors, pick out stuff, all of that Greek stuff. And then we lived across the street, which was called Tommy D's at the time. And they were like the hood version of Home Depot. (laughs) So anytime we were short of something, it was like, go across the street, go get an extra doorknob or go get this or whatever. So they became our extended family. And everybody- How old were you when this was happening? Probably like 13, 13, 14 probably up to 17 years old. My mom purchased a triplex that had a walkout basement. So you might as well say a quad. She split it up into a triplex. The first floor was an apartment. Basement was supposed to be an apartment, but it was just left as a basement. And then we resided on the second and third floor. Now that I think back on it as an adult, it was a wonderful idea. She got it for a dollar, created this entire vision, had rental income. Everything was great. She bought it Um, for a dollar? Bought it for a dollar from the sheriff's sale. How did what? <laughs> At those times, you could get dollar properties. Oh my god! Um, and it was a complete shell. It was like a fire. Um, it was a boys' home that, that caught on fire, basically. And she renovated it, took out a loan, had contractors in there nonstop. Do you do you know where your mom got that type of mindset? Because that's not a I mindset no we find in our community very often. Um, and come to think of it, no one else in the family did that. So she was looked at as the crazy person. What are you doing? Your kids have asthma. Why are you doing this? Why are you guys living in there? And it became a beautiful masterpiece afterwards. And I always admire her for that, especially for stepping out of the norm of what everybody else wanted to do. Sure. But during that time, I always promised myself, I'm never doing this. I'm never doing this. I hate contractors. I will never renovate a property. I will always do something moving ready and 20 years later, we're <laughs> So I, I don't know. Um, well, the apple, I mean, honestly, it's actually a good thing. The apple doesn't fall far, far from the tree, right? A lot of times, and you know this because you've been doing it for some time. Mm-hmm. Like I said, people don't think this way. So no. just the fact that you come from a lineage, correct? they thought about investment. They thought about Cash flow. And it's my own. Property. I can create what I want. Exactly. I can have my investment property here all at the same time. I mean, yeah, it came with its pros and its cons, but I think that that's what made us all tougher at the end of the day. I mean, I've always lost the facts of, well, I want my friends to come over. Well, it's not safe for your friends to be in here because we're under construction. It's like, <laughs> 
what you come up with this idea? Like everybody else's houses are complete. They're done. I remember in third, I think I was in eighth grade and we had a couple of friends of mine. We had all walked from the L because we all live in the same neighborhood. And they're like, you live at the Tyvek house? So Tyvek is like the paper that they put outside before, before they put up the vinyl siding. And I guess at that time, her budget didn't fit the vinyl siding. So we were stuck with the words Tyvek all around it. And that became my name. And if you're in, I'm like, mom, like, see what you created? <laughs> but like I said, look where I am now. And that is just like my second nature. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. So, so know. then walk me through like high school years. What kind sure. of, what, what kind of kid were you? What kind of girl were you? Did you do business? Did you always want to do really like, I was what? always a hustler. Okay. I don't know where this came. Well, I'll tell you where it came from. So seventh and eighth grade, well, I went to a magnet school in Philadelphia. Seventh and eighth grade was a little bit different for me and another friend. Our teachers saw, I guess, that entrepreneurship in us. So actually, we didn't really do a lot of academics, I want to say. Our project for seventh and eighth grade was to create our own business. And that's what we did. So seventh grade was dependent upon us going to the store in the morning, getting hoagies, selling them throughout the school. This was what it was. We had to, you remember the TV cart that uh, had the VCR on it or whatever uh, for Fridays? That was our cart. No <laughs> we had hoagies, we had different kinds. And then eighth grade became like an ice cream Sunday kind of thing. And we raised that money for our class. And we didn't even realize at the time what we were doing, but it was raising money for our class. So we'd go on a class trip and we would make up the flyers. We would take orders throughout the day. Teachers, Kids, whoever, even parents had pitched in at the same time. Going into eight, I mean, going into high school, I had my own water ice stand <laughs> across the street from everybody. I mean, that was just my thing. I always wanted my own money. I didn't want to share with anybody. Sure. It had to be mine. That's just how I felt. The ice cream, I mean, the uh, water ice stand lasted one summer. Not probably not even a whole month <laughs> because I don't even like touching cold stuff. But it worked. <laughs> it worked out. My mom bought me a deep freezer. She put it on wheels. And I made it work. You know, I went around the neighborhood and people knew me for the water ice. Going into other high school years, I think I worked at ShopRite for a couple of years. I worked at the library. It was always me having my own money. And at that time, I was making probably $12 an hour. And the average kid wasn't doing it at the time. time. But I had enough leadership skills. I was mature more than the average person. Mm. And... It just kept going. So towards the point, ShotRite actually gave me a scholarship to go to Westchester. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) ShopRite, when did ShopRite start giving out scholarships? Scholarship, yep, to go to Westchester. What? And my major at Westchester was for criminal justice. I always loved the law. I always wanted to be an attorney or judge of some sort. And that's just what I did. So even going into college, I still had a job. I was a desk assistant. I was an RA. I had boys. Like it, it didn't matter what it was. I needed my own stash because I hated asking somebody else for twenty dollars. Sure. I don't know what my plan was, but for my money, I just knew that I needed my own. I get it. What did you think you were going to go to school to do? Like with that criminal justice degree, what was the goal? My goal was to stay in legal studies. I love to defend the justice system when it came to juveniles. I had a lot of friends that, of course, in the neighborhood that we got, that we grew up in, arrested or they were assaulted or something of that nature happened and it wasn't enough of a representation to defend them. And that was kind of my leeway into all of that. 
So while I was at Westchester as an undergrad, I also was on the judiciary board for Westchester University. I worked with the actual chief of police for Westchester University. I worked with the borough of Westchester. We did raids throughout Westchester. I, I know I was like a public. Student. You were like but in the you were in the field like I was in the in the know. <laughs> like were you kicking down doors and like doing I stuff? I was kicking down doors with the oh. police. I was oh doing liquor control board, shadowing with them. I mean, we were going into bars in Chester and Philadelphia that were serving underage kids. And I had to go and testify against them. Like it was deep. Like I was deep, deep into it. And when I graduated, I went to Wilmington University for counseling because I always figured as though you need both of those when you're dealing with the legal system. It's not all about law. You need to have a balance. So I did a little bit. And then I went out and trained for two years, physically trained, mentally trained for the state police. Got all the way up there, made it to the academy. And I remember my recruiter saying, hey, you start in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, this is awesome. I built towards something. And then in the midst of that, he's like, but you have to get your tattoo removed. I'm like, what? <laughs> and this is somebody who's seen me with a uniform on, with a suit on, with regular jogging pants on. So you've seen my tattoo throughout a two-year time span and you've never said anything. Right. And at that time, they had like a big recruiting system just for minority women. And I'm like, well, you're already going to cancel us out because nine times out of ten, we have a tattoo of some sort. I mean, I was willing to wear a badge. I mean, I, um, a bandage on my arm. I was willing to wear long sleeve shirts or whatever because I, it didn't care to me. But it just wasn't. And I just said, no, I'm not. That's crazy. Tattoo sentimental to me. And I just felt like I'm not going through that process. And he's like, are you kidding me? He was very frustrated. And I just was like, no, I'm not doing it. You know, you should have said that in the beginning. And I'm over it. So needless to say, two weeks later, he called me, he reached CIA. And I talked to my boyfriend at the time about it, who's now my husband. And he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Like, you're not disappearing for 30 days. You can't tell anybody. That doesn't work well. <laughs> so needless to say, that was the end of the criminal justice thing. And I found other jobs and child welfare just to help out in those areas. But that still wasn't my passion. Yeah. And I realized that I'm doing 70 hours a week of somebody who doesn't even speak to me. I'm driving across America. My car is weighing down. I'm not making any money. This is not for me. So my husband and I and a few friends started to gain investment properties. We started with whatever we had. I think it was probably like $5,000 at the time back in 2011. Now, why? Why did you go that way? Because we wanted to have additional income. But there are many ways to have additional income. Why go? There's different ways, but we felt like real estate was something that would never change. Somebody always needs somewhere to live. Somebody's always going to want to move. So it, was, it just made sense. And if we can get in at a minimal amount and create that into something else later, why not? Now, so did, did somebody it. have like somebody previous have, knowledge, like, knowledge of real no. estate or you guys? No, you guys <laughs> we just all were just, this is what we want to do. A property came, um, was offered to us by another friend at a low amount and needed some work, but we were like, hey, we're willing to take the risk. So as a group, we all took that risk there and we got the money to fix it up. One of us, I think, had a credit card or whatever for about 10 grand. We said, all right, how can we flip this into whatever? All of us had that same mindset of how can we make that better? Now we're what, eight, nine years down the line, that tenant still resides in there. So you can only think about the residual income that we get every month off of that, even though it's being split or just being held in a bank account, but it's still an asset. And it's an asset that a lot of our friends don't have. 
or that mentality that they don't that they don't have. And it's just even if it was starting off with one property. And at that time, our outside friends were like, "You guys, like, this is never going to work. What are you doing? You don't know what you're doing." And we took the risk. I think that that's a big point right there, and we can stop there for a second because who you surround yourself with is everything. Everything. It matters so much. (laughs) It matters so much. The people that you surround yourself with have the power to either speak into you or deter you away from your dreams. And if you're not careful, you'll become farther away from who you are as a person, what your dreams or what your standards are. And before you know it, you're 10 years down the line and you're like, I haven't done anything. And that's so so sad to see see, because I say it to a lot of people like your friends, family, people that are around you are dream right, right. Like they might love you. They might feel but they don't like, get it. They don't get no, it. They're not feeding into you. Exactly. Exactly. Nope. So nope. like that is such a big point and that helps. But what, what I was saying is people that are around you, they are the ones that will take your dreams from you. Right. Like, just like you said, they don't understand it. They don't get it. When you start to share your, I don't know, your ideas with them and they don't get it, they're going to be the quickest ones to be like, ah, oh, that doesn't work. Or do you have that type of money? Or really don't make it doing that. You have to be so careful of your circle. How old were you when your group of friends got together and really thinking about this investment? Probably 21, 22. See, that's like, if there's a message to anyone listening to this podcast right now that is around that age, really audit your circle. You really have to audit your circle because they could, just like Toya said, they could make you, they could break you, right? They so could make you break you. And I also think about at that time, we were also in a generation where everybody was just about graduating from college, kind of being on their own, still living like they were in college kind of thing mentally. Mm-hmm. Like we're party, we're going to do this, we're going to be up late. And I just wasn't that person. I didn't find, like, yeah, the club scene was okay, but it wasn't. Right, didn't but, do it for you. I didn't get off on it. I didn't. You know, y'all have fun with my friends, but I wasn't paying all this money to get dressed and we'll get drunk. I just didn't see it. And I was always the designated driver because I do not care for it. You know, I cared about my money going into other things. And that makes sense. my mentality, I guess, took me to where I am now. That makes sense. So talk to me now, then how did you start to scale this thing? So you guys got into this one property, investment property. Correct. Fix it up, but then so we got into the one property because we upkept that property so much. Another property across the street became available, and we decided to buy that. And we still own that to today. That's still being rented out. And mind you, this is still a massive rent, so we still have that. We decide when we're going to be paid out of it. We decide how much we want to keep investing into it. We decide if this tenant doesn't work out, or we want to sell it, and everybody's going to cash out. Those are the things that are always in our minds. We have quarterly meetings to kind of figure out what our agenda is for the rest of the year, or do we want to buy something else, do we want to flip something. So in 2017, we decided to buy a property to flip it in Philadelphia. So we actually renovated it. It's amazing. And it went up for sale. So I mean, that's that's something else that took little money to go into with a larger return that a group of us thought about. And even when we started with the group, I remember I had another couple of friends who do investing and they said, well, why would you invest with so many people? You're not making anything. Mm. And I said, well, sometimes it's not about making something all of the time at a larger scale. It's about making sure that all of your friends are on the same page financially or mentally or whatever. And I'm not saying that all of us are mentally on the same page, but when we come together, it's like, man, Chris said this. Now I feel like I have to get myself on his level because I wasn't even thinking that way. Or, you know, where did she get this information from? Or how can I be knowledgeable like she is? I mean, it just forces all of us. It's a mastermind group. That's the mastermind group, right? And Napoleon Hill talks about having a group of people that like you just talk to or you have ideas. All of a sudden you push each other to become better. 
it either directly or indirectly. Just like you said, it could be something that someone says, and then you're just picking it up like, oh yeah, I need to do that. It helps you level up. Or they could be directly saying, hey, you need to do this. And then either way, you're getting better. That circles everything. So you're meeting with them pretty regularly to talk about the investment side, but talk about now your professional side because you're also an agent, right? Right. I am so, so how did you so, get into that side? 2013, my husband and I decided to go to a church that his best friend's father was a pastor of. It was kind of like, all right, you know how you just support it. Like somebody wants you to come to church and that was just what it was. I knew where my home church was, which was in Philadelphia. Nobody could deter me away from it at that point. Sure. But when I went there, it was being fed on a third level like a level that I've never been fed at before spiritually. And I don't know if it was a growth thing, an age thing, whatever, Mm. but that was just what it was. And at that time, as soon as I walked in there, I had like a 10 minute conversation with the pastor afterwards. And I told him that I sold my mom's house on my own. And he was just like, what? Like, who does that? And he said, "Um, real estate is your passion. Like you need to get into it. You need to go to class. You need to do this. You need to do that because that's going to take you to the third level. And I looked at him like he was crazy because at that time, my husband, well, my boyfriend at the time, had an entrepreneur mindset to the 10th power. I didn't. I was like, you need to go back to work. You need to figure it out <laughs> because this is not it. And now the roles have almost reversed kind of thing. And so needless to say, I became an agent in 2015, June of 2015. 2015, I sold a total of four properties. I think I made $25,000 max. And I was like, this is, <laughs> my, my wheels are turning. Like I'm yeah. 13 all over again. Like this is, this is where the money is coming from. This is what the cash cow could be. So I decided in 2016 to go full throttle with it. January, I left my job. Just, now, this is just based off of just making 25000 Sure. That's sure. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, that's it. And then at that time, my boyfriend and I were living together. And he's like, if you're going to leave your job, you better have six months of reserves in your pocket. <laughs> before you leave. And I'm like, in my mind, like, oh, man, <laughs> or, you know, whatever. But I knew that if I could hustle this hard or work this hard for a boss of mine for a nine to five that turned into a 70 hour work shift, I can do this for myself. I know a lot of people, a lot of people trust me. They admire my, my mindset and I know I can make this work. I can figure this out and that's it. So I became, I left my job January, 2016. That year, I probably doubled what I made in 2015, mm-hmm. which was good enough for me. It was Absolutely. good enough to get by. I mean, mind you, I'm, I mean, this is what, four years ago. I'm still under 30. Yeah. So to me, it was just like, I, I could do this. Absolutely. As I started to advertise more, as I started to talk to people more, if I would just go to a family function, everybody was talking about what I was doing in real estate. Mm-hmm. And my passion became different because in 2013, my mom lost her house to a foreclosure. And I think it was just off the sense of, not off the sense of not having the finances, but not knowing what resources are available to you, what help is out there, what can you do to save your home? I just felt like, how can I help other people that look like us? How can I help other people that are in the same situation as us, the same communities as us? Because that information is not there. People just don't know. You know, and I think that that's the biggest cursor from other racial groups is that they think that our culture just doesn't do stuff. It's not that we don't do stuff. We just don't know. You know, nobody is there to pass anything down. Nobody's there to enrich us or not or educate us on anything when it comes to that area. So needless to say, it's 2019. I've sold probably over 200 homes. I sell probably 35 homes a year. I do very well with it. My husband and I also have our own investment properties that we have separately as well. We still do flips. I mean, the, the game is going on. 
And I think I, at this point, I eat, sleep, breathe real estate. And I think everybody in my family knows it. And they're just like, when are you taking a break? Or why do you have to talk to your client at 9 p.m.? And you just don't understand that. Those dream stealers. (laughs) It's the grind. Like, it it just doesn't change. And moving forward, yes, the economy is rocky. Yes, the market's rocky. But there's always something in it for you to do. Mm -hmm. And like I said, somebody always needs to move. Somebody always needs to sell something. Someone needs to live. It's just one of those professions where you'll always be needed. It may not be in the same context for the next 10 years, but I know that there's something that I can do in there. Absolutely. And I think for the people that that are listening to take some nuggets from your story, right? Obviously, me just listening to you, there's some things that clearly line up. You've one, you were exposed to real estate at an early age, Correct. at an early age, Correct. like you knew that like, okay, there's something here, even though you didn't understand fully what your mom was doing, you know, right. that there was something in this real estate thing that was there. Then the second thing you had is you were entrepreneurial as a kid, right? Like True. you had businesses, you understood the hustle. What I want to point out for people that are listening or watching this is like being self-aware of what you're good at and what your strengths are will lead you to being successful in whatever field it is. There's a lot of people. And you don't know it at the time, but your experiences and your struggles or even the highs, those things will help mold you into what you're going to be later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the point. I want people to become more self-aware, right? Like you do well at real estate because you had that moment where you said, I understand how to make money here. Now, if I just put more time into it, I know I'll make it happen. I feel like most people don't have that. I have debates with people all the time about why they don't jump out into their job, like leave their job and go into entrepreneurship or just be a fool in real estate, whatever. And normally it's because they don't have that confidence. They don't have that confidence to say- They don't have the confidence. And I think that, and I'm not going to lie, I didn't have the confidence 100% either. Mm. You know, there are some months when it's like, all right, where my clients at? I don't have a closing. You know, if I don't close on a property, I don't make money. Right. You know, there's some agents that take a fee up front that I don't. You know, I feel as though if I don't get you to closing, there's nothing for me to make. You know, so that makes the grind even harder. Yes, there are times where I want to shout, I want to cry, I want to say, what the hell am I doing? Excuse my French. But at the end, it makes sense. It helps me. Let me put it this way. It allowed me to create other sources of income mm-hmm. by having real estate under my belt. Absolutely. Real estate is one of the most promising investments you can make in your life. That's it. I agree and disagree. I'm not going to disagree with <laughs> okay. you fully here okay. on the, on the podcast. No, I'm not going to disagree fully okay. right now. Right. On the podcast. I agree. Okay. Like I agree. So here's, here's what I will say about it. Like, I believe that everyone should have real estate in your portfolio. I agree. I, I believe that more than anything, it being the thing that makes you wealthy. I don't believe that that's the case. Right. I, I think you should. See, I don't think most people that build wealth, right? If you look mm-hmm. at the five different asset classes or however you want to look at it, real estate is just one of them. Again, it should be in your portfolio. Correct. It could grow. It may not be the sole purpose, but it may help you, like I said, open those other resources or open those other zones of income that you can have. Or you can it may. Use. It may. I think a lot of people- if you do in, it right. If you do it right. And I think a lot of people in 2019 are thinking that is the sole way to go. That is the it's not the sole way. way. It's one way. It's one way. And I want, I I want there to that. be clarification about that. Because I, I will clarify like, that it is not the only way, yeah. but it is a major way or one way that could get you to where you want to be. Yeah. And I just, I think there's a lot of that. It's one of the things that I don't necessarily push back on, but I do challenge a lot when I talk about the real estate ecosystem and what I see out right. there, because I'm sure you're, you're seeing it too. But mm-hmm. this people believe that like, 
it has to be this way. I have to get real estate. I have to get in this property. I have to do this. That's the way I'm going to build wealth. Because if I don't do that, there's nothing else, right? What am I going to do? And I just, I don't buy into that because there are other ways specifically, right? Having equity in a business. Those right. are the real ways to, uh, right. another way to grow money. Things Beyonce like Beyonce say, uh, pay me in equity. <laughs> Seriously. They, they Seriously. try to, Jay and Beyonce try to, try to tell us tell like, us what's going so on. But it's, it's just true. Like that's where, and if you look at most people that are wealthy, yes, they right. have real estate in their portfolio, but they have equity in businesses. That's really right. what generates right. it because you right. have control. Real estate is one of those, like, it's a little bit more passive because you don't right. really have control over the market, right? So, like, yes, you can make some, but, like, it's really dependent on outside influences and outside factors. Well, you can have control, like I said, it's how you do it. Case in point. So, one of the most downlooked areas right now is Chester. We all know Chester, PA is hard. It's a lot going on there. But I'm a person that looks at it differently. I started, you know, my mind starts to roll. And as I'm driving through there, of course, just like with any community, there's great parts, not so great parts and horrible parts. So I look at all three of those as how can I get my part in here? Mm -hmm. That's it. So right now, yesterday, I looked at a property in Chester that's it's a foreclosure. Mm. It's going for about 30000 Now, in my mind, I'm not giving them 30000 because I'm just a negotiator. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's in fairly good condition, fairly good condition, meaning as though it probably needs under five k of work. Now, if you have people, this is tax time too. Now, even though Trump isn't giving many people some money back, people with kids, you guys are getting some money back mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And if you're getting some money back, 20% down to buy an investment property, right? Let's just say 20% of 28 grand is around 6,000. Mm-hmm. Add another three for closing costs, whatever. You're into your first investment property. Sure. Rent around there is going for 1,100, like it or not. you know. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it's like, how can I capitalize off of this? If you think about it, and if you can get 1,100 for this property, and let's just say you put most of your money towards paying a mortgage down for the first three years, year four, where are you at? You're having 1,100 coming in every month that you have no other overhead for except for taxes and maintenance. So that makes sense to me. I'm providing a home for somebody who doesn't have it. And my homes are not shabby homes. I don't give people homes or rent to people something that I wouldn't live in myself. So if I think about it that way, why not reinvest my money like that? How many people get tax returns back? They're buying shoes, furniture, clothes, all of this stuff that will never give you a return back at the end of the day. As soon as you drive that car, the line's already depreciated, what, three, four grand? Mm-hmm. You know, so four years down the line, what kind of investment are you doing? Four years of year before you know it. I can remember what I was doing four years ago, and I didn't think that I would have wasted that money at that time. And where is it has me now? So if I have an extra savings that I could have used, that could have been a down payment on a car that I'm not even. It makes sense, right? Like obviously, investing it over spending it crazy is going to mm-hmm. be the right recipe. And there's opportunities right now for you to do it at a rate where you can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. That's very I mean, true. yes, there's classes that you should take on being a landlord and making sure that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed, but there's properties that people can get into. There's not an astronomical amount of money that's needed for you to get your first investment property. So let's go there for a second, because I know that's part of what you do anyway, mm-hmm. is you're educating people, you're talking to the community, you're teaching them what they need to know. What are you seeing is, the, I don't know, the place where people are lacking knowledge? Like, what do people not understand that are trying to get into investment or you don't understand that real estate is not immediate gratification. Mm. Talk on that's that. <laughs> You're not going to make money tomorrow. It's an investment. 
with any investment, there's risk, there's capital that could be made, you know, it can go either way, mm-hmm. but they have to understand that you're not, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It doesn't work like that. It's going to take some work. People just feel like, you know, because of what they see on Instagram or YouTube, I can make this money tomorrow. I'll have 10 grand. So that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest things Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. And I know that that's true because I've been seeing it as I'm talking, <laughs> as I'm talking what to a lot of saying? people, as I've been talking to people, right? Because, you know, in financial services, what I do, right. I sit down, we try to talk money in general. Mm-hmm. Normally, when I sit down with people, they're literally their number one goal is to buy a home. So that's, that's always right. first thing right off the bat. When I ask, what are we looking to do? First thing is always want to buy a home. Now, sometimes it's to live in. Sometimes it's because they want investment right? As an investment. The ones that want it as an investment, they typically believe that that's going to make them money quicker than anything else. They they try to convince me that that's just going to be the thing that they need to invest in because that's the way that they're going to make X amount of dollars, whatever their goal is, so they can retire and live on the beach and vacation the way that they want. To. <laughs> like that's just everyone's, everyone's plan okay. is like, I just don't want to work. And I think I real estate. A yeah, property. I literally think real estate's just gonna allow me to have this life where I can live how I want. And I just, you know, I'm such a realist that I just mm-hmm. I want to break it to people that like, listen, <laughs> if you want to live this one percent life, right? This life that most people don't live, like even mm-hmm. people in real estate, even real estate mm-hmm. investors, mm-hmm. you don't Very see true. them just like laying on the beach and relaxing, no matter how many, I met a guy that had like 27 properties and he's still grinding. He's still working. They're like still grinding. there's no, Our, like, um, we have mentors because everybody thinks that I know everything. And I'm like, I don't like, I still have a mentor sure. at the end of the day, and I'm still humble about it. And they are only probably two years older than my husband and I, but their portfolio is amazing. Mm. Like probably over 150 properties. They have commercial properties under their belt. They have car washes. They have things that you wouldn't think the average black people of our caliber have. Right. And they still go to work every day. They still have a nine to five. And even though they're still bringing in that money, it's like, nah, we're not, we're not at retirement stage yet. Exactly. You know? And the biggest eye opener recently was when Trump did the shutdown. And even though we have our properties and they have theirs too, half of theirs, and this is what I also admire them from, it's always good to have a portfolio that's diversified. Diversified meaning as though if I have 100 rental properties, half of them can be Section 8, the other half need to be regular income. And I'll tell you why. So with the shutdown, when it first happened in December, it was like, okay, this is a normal shutdown. We go through this every year. January hits. <laughs> the beginning of February hits. Then the, the memo comes out of, oh, there may not be funding for Section 8 or or SNAP or whatever they call food stamps at this point. And it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that means 50% of my properties or or in our case, 50% of our properties, where is this money going to come from? Then we start getting letters from the county saying, hey, don't kick our tenants out. Give us some time. No, we don't have an extra fund of money to give you to pay their rent. But just on a and that was an eye opener of this is why you need to have a backup plan. Absolutely, seriously. So Absolutely. they would have retired. Let's just say case in point, just off of their 100 property portfolio, right. and then those 50 properties. Let's just say if Trump continued to do what he did for the rest of the year, now you messed up your your income, you messed Absolutely. up your free money, and now you're only dependent upon that other 50 percent to try to spread between everybody. 
and it's it, not can, open. it can change just like that. It can change really quickly. You know what I mean? And I, I was just about to write an article on LinkedIn kind of about that, but more towards business. What I actually mm-hmm. was, was about to write, and I, I'll probably publish it in the next couple of days, but like okay. what, what I was writing was the fact that in business, there's a lot of people that are like contractors or like they have some type of right. service business. And if they feel if they get this one big contract, if they get that government contract, if they get that one big company that they're going to be set. And as a rule of thumb, yeah, as a rule of thumb, if you're running a business and your income is dependent on one stream, like more than 50% right. of your right. money is coming from one stream, you're right. vulnerable. And it's the same way in real estate, right? Like I know in people that just do section eight. They just, that's all they would do. They don't like, do anything else. They right. won't do anything else. Those, <laughs> those people are vulnerable because mm-hmm. you're getting your money from the government. While you might think it's easy money, it's set up. It's coming in every month. Well, as soon as the government shut down, as soon as they change a law, that letter, (laughs) the realization went in there. And I think people also realize because when that shutdown happened, I also had a slew of clients that were waiting for their tax refund. And remember at that point in January, nothing was going on. So I had all a whole slew of buyers who no longer could look anymore because you can't get if you're not going to have that extra money. And then I also had another slew of buyers who were TSA workers who had the last two paychecks were zero dollars. Well, guess what? When you get pre-approved, they want to see your last two paychecks, whether you worked in whatever the shutdown is, but how are you promised to pay this mortgage moving forward? So guess what? That entire genre of people couldn't get pre-approved. And then today we should have been closing, but we're not. So once again, I think it it was a big realization that everybody at that point realized that that they were two paychecks that would be broke or in poverty. Yep. I I put out a post on Facebook about that exact same thing. I remember you know, I went down to the food bank because they were, Phil Abundance mm-hmm. had, had done a, like a makeshift food bank for all the, and it was literally like a couple hundred people out there just right. in line for food. These are family people, mm-hmm. reg, like regular looking people that just haven't done the right thing financially. This is where my passion comes in. It's because okay. I just want to teach people that like you have to understand money in anything that you're going right. to do. Right? right. Whether if you just want, even if you just want to have a job, I'm not pushing everyone into being an entrepreneur or pushing everyone into investing, even though it's important and I believe in it. Even if you just have a job, you got to understand money. You got to understand your finances. You got to have three to six months worth of your income just socked away, labeled emergency. You got to be thinking about long-term savings. Then you got to start thinking about investing. You got to make sure you're out of debt. There's so many like little pieces to the puzzle, right? That like people skip so many steps a lot of what you're saying is, you know, cardinal rule of people having plans with money they don't even have. People no. have plans with their tax <laughs> returns. You don't even have the money yet. And you know how where it's going. Like that, mm-hmm. that is an issue. And that's what I always talk people about. Talk to me about the home buyers, because I know a lot of like first time home buyers, I'm seeing you doing some stuff with that. What what do first time home buyers need to know, right? If there's anybody listening that's about to buy a home, what should they be thinking about? Before anything, I think they need to know what their coping skills are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they know what coping skills are. Coping skills are when you are anxious, when you have that high level of anxiety, that high level of frustration, things aren't going your way. What do you want to do to calm yourself down? <laughs> what do you want to do to keep yourself sane at this point? And I think that everybody looks at the home buying process. Oh, I can do it. And you can. Don't get me wrong. But it is stressful. 
My job as your realtor is to try to take that stress from you. Mm-hmm. I try to shield a lot of information before it gets to you, whereas though it seems minimal to you. And I've, I've already attacked everybody to kind of make these things work. Sure. And I think that's the biggest misconception that they, they need to realize where is your stress level? What can you do to calm yourself down? Maybe it's the toy I'll call you back. Maybe I need to listen to music. Maybe I need to go exercise. I don't know what it is, right. but you need to know what it is before you get into this process. More than anything, the next part is to understand that you shouldn't be living upon your meat. Mm-hmm. I have some buyers that get pre-qualified for a large amount of money. And I always tell them, well, you're not, I don't want you to live just to pay your mortgage. Yes, you can afford it in your mind, but there's two different ways of affording something. Just because you have the money doesn't mean that you can afford it. Absolutely. What are you putting away? Which your because you also and aside from your emergency savings, you still need a savings for your house. Absolutely. Like things go wrong. I've been a homeowner for almost five years and we're at Lowe's and Home Depot more than what you think we are. You know, things say that again. Like, what where did this come from? Floor lifting up. It's just stuff that needs to be done. And yes, you may not have the money for a larger project. Now you understand where our parents came from of, all right, we're gonna fix that ourselves. Or, you know, and my grandmother has Jesus God rest her soul. She had blue paneling, like baby blue paneling in her bedroom. Mm. And for years I'm like, Nana, let me redo your house please. But it was hers. She worked for it. And the parts of the paneling that were coming apart, she put scotch tape on. And I'm like, this lady's crazy. But that was her way of, it's not that big of a deal. There's other things that need to be taken care of. So understand that buying a house, this becomes your new baby. It becomes your new project. There's always things that are going to go wrong, even though it's a great investment. But at the same time, don't think that everything's peaches and cream just because it's glitz and glamour when you first buy it. I think another thing they need to realize is that I'm going to make you get a home inspection whether you like it or not. So many of these newly renovated properties look amazing, but my question is, do they work? Right. You know, I've had water not run. I've had water coming out the wall of a basement, a finished basement. Yeah. Like, people like think it's all family. cosmetic. People like people that are fixing up these homes are, aren't putting a lot of money into it. And they think if I could just throw a nice backsplash on the kitchen. It's deeper than that. It's so deeper than that. I've had gas stoves and lines not hooked up. I've had, I've had whatever you could think. I've had... Animals in the chimney, you know, the things that people just say, okay, I'm just walking and I'm loving it. Nah, we're going to look past that and to make sure that you have what you're supposed to have. At least the first four years, you should be fine. Absolutely. That's my goal. If I could give any piece of advice to those people, it's just really to do your due diligence. That's what you're saying. Just do your due diligence, right? This is Well, not even do it. I'm going to do it for you. So I think that that's the difference and what kind of agent I'm in. Because when you, in the state of Pennsylvania, you have what's called contingencies. Mm-hmm. Contingencies and an offer, when you're submitting an offer on a property, is are ways to protect you as a buyer. I'm going to force you to do some of those, whether you like it or not, because I need you to be protected. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times after closing, my clients call me, told me my refrigerator doesn't work. Or this, this this doesn't work. And, and I'm still that go-to person, even after I sell the property. You know, sure. I'm not out of the blue. Sure. And I think that's where my passion is different because I wouldn't want you to have something that I would. Sure. That's it. And you're right. That is what makes you a good agent. That's what makes you a good friend. That's what's going to make you a good investor. It's just because you understand, right? You I understand. Heart. You're going to understand it. But when I say, you know, doing their due diligence, I also mean that they just need to, I don't believe anyone should rush into buying a home. I just don't. I agree. Like, I agree. It's a six-figure investment. True. You've never made that ever in your life outside of, <laughs> right? Like, so what, what's the- It's the biggest right? investment of your life. And I don't think people take it that serious. That they really think like, oh, it's just buying a home because we all live somewhere. It's like, yes, 
But if I just came and be like, hey, I got this investment over here that you could, right? If I sold you the same dream on some outside investment that wasn't real estate, that was more just, I needed a hundred racks from you. You're going to think 8,000 times harder about that. You're, not, you're, you're probably not even going to entertain it. But when it comes to a home, for some reason, we just believe, well, like that's quick. Yeah, of course. That just makes sense. But if I tried to get right like 60 grand from you and told you take out a loan for this, but in four years, it'll, you know, I'll, I'll get you three times your money on something out here. Most right. people aren't going to do it. So, so that's what I also, when I say the due diligence, people just have to understand what type of, it's, it's still money. It's still money, whether right. you're doing right. it for a house or you're doing it for some other investment, it's still money. And you, still have, money. you know, you still have to have to have your precautions when it comes to that. So, you know, that's, that's my message. I, I don't think everyone should buy a home. I don't think everyone okay. is in the position to buy a home from, because of a lot of things that you said, right? Having the down payment, getting the credits, like all that stuff is great. But then when you're in the home and you're spending $300 a month on loans, so I do uh, first-time home buyer uh, seminars yeah. every other month, and I always ask my buyers from time to time, "Are you ready to be the landlord, the tenant, the maintenance person? Everything. Bank? Are you ready to be all of this all in one? Everything. And if you're not, it's not for you, right? See, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work in my life. I I still <laughs> rent. I rent, right? I rent a home because <laughs> literally, case in point. Case in point, we just had a leak. we just had a leak in our house. Okay, we just had a leak in the bathroom. Was leaking. It leaked the hole into, into your living room. Yeah, into the living room. Sheesh. Guess what? I got on the phone with the landlord. Hey, Lou, right. I got a hole. Here's the picture of <laughs> I it. Need you to come I need it. somebody to do this. Why? Because yep. I don't have time. I don't have the energy. <laughs> I don't have the know-how. That just doesn't fit in my life. I, I really don't have And I time. applaud you for recognizing that. Yeah. Everybody doesn't And I think there's social pressures for a lot of people out there to think there that like, you have to go buy a home. It's like, listen, if it doesn't work with your life, right? Like my baby, I can't, I can't have four babies. I have Mm -hmm. an actual baby at home, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I have my marriage, which counts as a baby. (laughs) I have my business, which counts as a baby. I can't have a home be another baby that I have to then (laughs) keep up and spend money on. I I can't do that. It doesn't fit in my life. And I want people to be self-aware enough to understand that. Like, does this other baby that you're buying, does that fit into your life? It might or not, right? And again, what's the rush? Why do we have to buy a property right now and not in four years if real estate's going to be around forever? Well, the difference, I think it, like, I agree and I disagree. I agree in a sense of if you're not ready, you're not ready. If you're not that type of person, just not the type of person. Like I have some older adults that I know that still live in a condo, sure. you know, and it's their own space technically, but they still have a condo association that's assisting with maintenance of the building and everything else. Sure, and it's sure. just what they, what they love. However, I think the greater point of doing it now, well, not now, but doing it at a younger age gives you the advantage of paying those things down and having equity available later to be able to do other things that you would like to do. Yes, it may not be enough to completely live on for the rest of your life, but it'll afford you some of the things that you would like to do. Case in point. So when we purchased our home, and I'm very, if people don't know me, they'll know this about me. I'm very open. Anything you want to talk about, it's there. Family, friends, life, whatever. So my husband and I purchased our home five years ago. When we first looked at it, it was 60 grand more than what we actually bought it for. It was not in a great condition and it went into fortune. 
So when it went into foreclosure, the actual bank decided to renovate the property. Like when I say renovate, new eating, new air, new appliances, new flooring, paint, everything. Walk back into it six months later. I'm like, oh, I can take this house now. And it's now 60 grand plus. Needless to say, five years later, the houses around our community have appreciated. And they've appreciated more than what we thought they would. We walked in, we walked in with 20 grand worth of equity. So equity is the difference of what you owe on your property compared to what it's worth. Mm-hmm. So if I owe 100K and it's worth 130, I have 30K worth of equity. That free money allows you to tip into it. So people sometimes get a second mortgage with it. And usually when you dip into your equity, you have a chance to do whatever you want to do with it. Whether it's reinvest in something, whether it's use it for an emergency, whatever, but know that you'll have another payment, monthly payment to touch that money. So long story short, we're five years down the line and we have almost 70K for equity available, which allows me to do other things that I would love to do or just leave it alone. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think that that's the other thing that people could have in a sense is in every neighborhood. No. So you also need to think strategically about where you're purchasing your property, because that makes a big difference, too. Is this an up and coming area where you already at your max and your equity is only going to be there if you pay your loan down? Mm -hmm. So that's something else that I think a lot of buyers I agree. Like, I don't think they do. And I agree that those are all perks. My, my thing is just with the speed, like, do you, does it have to go as quick as we think? I don't think it has to go as quickly. And I agree that there's a lot of social norms. Let's just take Instagram for a sense. Yeah. People feel like if I don't have likes, if I don't have views, exactly. if I don't have followers, nobody cares about me. Exactly. But this person over here started from where I started from and he had 50,000 views. Who cares? Who cares? They probably purchased half of them. So I had one client say to me, well, I'd rather pick a realtor because I chose this realtor over you because she had more followers. <laughs> Somebody said that? <laughs> oh, man. And I was like, okay. Well, I mean, I, I'm not insulted. I think I, think I hurt for you <laughs> because <laughs> that's the only reason you chose oh, another gosh. realtor. And then let's just say four months down the line, she regrets that she used that realtor. Of course. But you're just going off of what the social norm is, you know, following that stigma of if you don't have this caliber of whatever it is on Instagram, you're nobody. Mm -hmm. That's true. Most people that are really working don't have time for social media. Exactly. And the, you you know, I could go. I, we, we could, <laughs> Not we unless could you're paying somebody else to do it for exactly. you. Exactly. We, we could stay there all day as somebody that's big on social. And you know this, right? I've put out a lot of so content, but mm-hmm. I also can point out the people that are posturing, that are faking, right? Okay. I can point them okay. out because I understand, because I know the game, right? Mm-hmm. So here's a social tip. I know this is, you know, in a, a real estate podcast, but let's give you a social media tip to Okay. This is how you figure out all the people that are posturing, that are faking, that bought that bought their their followers on right. Instagram specifically. If you look at the amount of followers somebody has, and then you go maybe six posts down, you look at the comments, and if the comments don't match up in mm-hmm. proportion to the mm-hmm. amount of followers they have, they bought their followers. Their followers. They're fake. <laughs> They're fake followers. That's just the way it goes. You'll see people that have 40,000 followers. Great. You go down to their post. They have six people that commented. That means- Or none. Or or zero. That means they bought their followers. And Mm -hmm. I I, I just told a guy that was coming into my business, I just told him the same thing because he was about to go do that exact same thing. When I was looking at his budget, he was like, I'm about to spend like 90 bucks a month on like getting followers. I was like, if you do that, like you can't be in business with me, first off. Like, that's not the way we roll. 
because you might be fooling the bottom 10% right. or the bottom right. 20%. But the real people that you're really going to have influence mm-hmm. with that really are doing something, you're not going to fool us. And I'm going to no. I'm going to be a guy that's going to skip right over your page. I'm not going to comment. I'm not even going to engage because I know you're just faking it for the environment. And so right. that's social media tip for you guys. Look at look at stuff <laughs> like that. That's that's how you look at it. Look at the followers. Look at the comments. Not even the likes because bots generate likes. So mm-hmm. it's not about likes. You can get a bunch of people that like stuff. I've like even comments. had some people tell me that they became depressed on social media and they had to take a social media break because they felt like they weren't living up to their potential because other people are winning. Wow. And I'm like, Winning in what sense? <laughs> Off of what they just present to you? You yeah, have no yeah. idea. It's just like a commercial, an infomercial at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. How do you know this stuff works? How do you know what they're saying is true? I mean, anything is just to gravitate you in. And unfortunately, it did the other way. And it makes you feel less than yourself. And that's not true. It's you know, your the downside. Yeah, it's the downside of social media is that now, right. now we live in a society of full comparison, but we're mm-hmm. only comparing the PR version of our lives. Right? I agree. Like people only put out the good stuff. I That's try, right. I try to put out both. Like I try to like, and it's tough. It's really, it like, is tough. you really try to put out like your bad days, like the days when you feel like screaming and you're like, this sucks. Right. Like right. I hate this process. If you try to put out content and push yourself on those days, it'll actually cut through the noise because that's really what people want to see. Right. Mm-hmm. They really want to see the struggle. They really want right. to see the right. realness. But all That's we're it. comparing is the good times. Oh, I vacationed here. I traveled here. I bought this home. I love my job. What did you I do? make what money. What are your downfalls? Exactly. How can you relate to me? Exactly. Because everything else is unrelatable. That's it. That's it's it. all goals of where people want to be, but where are you at now? That's it's it. It's a difference. That's it. So I think you understand it. And so tell the people as we wrap up, tell the people where to find you on social. Like where can people connect with you? So on Instagram and Facebook, my name is The Latoya Fowler Experience. So it's T-H-E-L-A-T-O-Y-A-F-O-W-L-E-R Experience. You can check me out. My website is also latoyafowler.com. That has everything about the home purchase uh, process that you'll need to know. There's properties on there. There's information on resources on there, contractors, lenders, whatever. I always say, don't go get free until you talk to me. There's different lenders for different situations and you have to know which ones fit your situation. You know, I could get you grant money. Whereas I've had some clients walk away with two grand at the table instead of bringing money. So until you talk to me, I can't help you. Absolutely. So you heard it, people. Make sure you talk to her. Talk to her first. (laughs) Before That's you do it. anything else, That's but uh, Toya, I really appreciate you. I congratulations on your success in Thank business. You. Likewise. Thank you. In real estate, I know you're doing some really big things for everyone that's listening or watching. Make sure you connect with her. Feel free to reach out. Again, the reason why I do these podcasts, one, it's to be a resource for everyone that's out there that's either looking to get into real estate or is already in real estate that, or you just want to connect. I just want to be a resource. But also, right. I, I want people to be able to connect with you, right? Sure. Ask you questions, reach sure. out to you if they're trying to sell their home, whatever the case is. So feel free to reach out to her. Toya, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Guys, we're signing off for Property Players Podcast. We'll check you out next time. Take care.